What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. Omron, it's Monday, which means it's time for arguably my favorite video of the week where I go through my top 10 takeaways, lessons learned, observations from the week that we just saw. Week 13 just wrapped up. I would say the slate kind of lived up to the hype. Chiefs Bengals was great. 49ers Dolphins was okay. We had a lot of stuff to go through, so let's not waste any time. If you enjoyed the video, make sure down below. Subscribe, leave a like, let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, trying to choose. I mean, I know I'm critical. Now look, this episode we do every week is probably like when I miss it, you guys are like, man, please give me the top 10 lessons learned. But the least favorite part of the most favorite video I do on here or I don't know, that, that didn't make sense, but you get what I'm saying. You guys love this video, but the least favorite part of this video is when I talk about the Jets. And we had a Jets game yesterday. At the top here, we're going to go through some Jets notes. Now, all of this is for fantasy football purposes, not really real life. I have to say, though, for a Jets fan that's been like down in the dumps, the Patriots loss is really bad. I mean, we went to Minnesota. We put up 486 total yards to the Vikings, 287. We couldn't convert in the red zone. We had five straight field goals. I think if we had Brees Hall, a lot of those get converted at the red in the red zone on the goal line. But I think there's a lot of positive to take away. This is a team that has beaten the Bills as, you know, 10 and 2 now. We went into their place and we covered the spread, kept it within a field goal. I think that that's, you know, not terrible. Mike White looked competent. But now let's talk about fantasy football. I was about to say let's talk about real life football. Let's talk about fantasy football from the Jets game, just pretty much across the board because we're still sort of learning this offense. There's a lot of moving parts where Mike White, just a second game, and then we have a Michael Carterless backfield. So there's a lot to take away here. And first, when we just talk about the environment of the offense, whether you agree or not, LaFleur is much more willing to open up the offense with Mike White under center. He lets Mike White air it out they lost, again, but they moved the ball fine. 486 total yards for this offense to the Vikings, 287. Again, you just can't go one for six in the red zone and expect to win the game. But this was still really strong. This was a team who went in there, had 57 pass attempts. If we look at the entire season from weeks one through 13, I, I put the colors don't mean much in terms of like Flacco, White, Wilson, just to sort of give you guys a differentiator. And we sort by most pass attempts this season on a weekly basis, the top four are Flacco three times and Mike White. Uh, Mike White had 28 attempts last week, which isn't that great, but again, they were against the Bears, winning by a ton. And if we look at the, what's that, like the bottom eight pass attempts, it is all Wilson. This is a team that is much, much more willing to let Mike White throw the ball. Now, you can say that this isn't really adjusted for game scripts, and that's completely fine, but I just don't have pass rate over expected data right now in front of me. But simply put, LaFleur is more willing to pass the ball a ton without Zach Wilson, which is great for these pass catchers. Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis. If the coaching staff is going to let this offense actually air it out a little bit, and Mike White, I think that Mike White now has back-to-back -back games of 300 passing yards. I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys that he's going to be like a franchise quarterback or anything, but we at least now have a system and a quarterback in place for fantasy where Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore can thrive. And even if you want to take that a step further, they've been a lot faster with Mike White. Like, it's almost like this offense was dumbed down or watered down for Zach Wilson. They weren't running as much hurry up. Their pass rate over expectation went down with Zach Wilson. They almost wanted to, like, shield him a little bit, you know, run the ball, chew the clock, 
Don't ask Zach Wilson to do too much. And in this game, this is a great tweet from Pat Thorman, who does all of like the, the pace and stats uh, on Twitter and for Establish the Run. He said the Jets haven't had a higher no-huddle rate than today's 21% since Mike White's final start last season. New York ran 83 offensive plays. They've matched that one time in a non-overtime game in the last 11 years. Now, of course, they were playing catch-up. They kept driving down the field, kicking field goals. But it's at least a positive, again, for this offense when you have a coach that's willing to go no huddle and let that quarterback run that offense so you now get higher play volume. And then they're also passing the ball a ton. So we're getting more play volume, we're getting more passes, and we're getting some efficiency. Again, Mike White threw for over 300 yards, and that is good for all of the pass catchers. And speaking of Elijah Moore, of course, Garrett Wilson was a dog. We'll talk about him more in the rookie wide receiver report. But Elijah Moore had 45 routes ran out of 60 in this game for a 75% route participation. He had six targets. He had a carry. It wasn't a huge game for him on the stat sheet. I think that he only caught two of those targets, but it seems like he has gained back trust in this locker room from the coaches. 75% route participation was the highest that he's had in a game since week five when he had 81% of the routes. And I want to say that was pre like demanding trade, falling out with the quarterbacks and stuff huge for Elijah Moore and you have him here where he's been behind like Denzel Mims and routes he's been behind Denzel or uh, Braxton Berrios and it's finally where it should be where you have Garrett Wilson as the far and away route leader you'd want Elijah Moore to be ahead of Corey Davis but a lot of us want to see Elijah Moore in the slot which means in two wide receiver sets especially because of how great Corey Davis has been as a run blocker I think that he was the highest graded run blocker on the Jets it makes a lot of sense for Elijah Moore to be behind, be behind Corey Davis as the main slot guy. I believe that he also ran like 75% of his routes from the slot. So this is really good for Elijah Moore. He is, I mean, as full-time of a full-time player you can be as a slot wide receiver when you're not starting in two wide receiver sets. He's a slot wide receiver. They're getting him a carry. They want to manufacture him touches. I would say really, really positive note for Elijah Moore, especially again, if this offense, they're not going to have 60 pass attempts every single week, but... If it's a competent passing offense and Elijah Moore is now running as many routes as like Corey Davis and is in the mix, Elijah Moore goes from someone that was cuttable to, I would say, like a wide receiver four with some upside. Uh, after that, we also have the backfield, which I think is important to note because we had our first game with no Michael Carter. You have Zonovan Knight gets uh, thrown in there. Uh, James Robinson gets activated after being a healthy scratch last week. And it's clear that they just don't really like, maybe not, I think like is the wrong word but they don't really trust him. They don't really think that James Robinson's that good. They gave James Robinson, I want to say James Robinson had uh, a few carries and he was averaging like two yards per carry. Meanwhile, Zonovan Knight looked amazing. This was a guy that a lot of film grinders liked coming out of school. He had 20 of 32 running back opportunities for a 62.5% opportunity share. That'll do it. That's like a, you know, 1A plus type lead back. He had a 55% snap share. That's good. He is the clear lead to James Robinson, where if you see Knight had 47 snaps to James Robinson's nine. He dominated all four of the goal line snaps, Donovan Knight. He had, he was even uh, eating into the two-minute drill stuff. If we look at the two-minute drill uh, snaps, 11 went to Ty Johnson, one to James Robinson, eight went to Donovan Knight. So he is mixing in everywhere. Ty Johnson's still the primary third down back, but goal line, two-minute drill, the snaps in general, all dominated by Donovan Knight. He had the third highest PFF rush grade this week, Donovan Knight, and he had a six-yard per carry. That is really, really good stuff for an undrafted rookie just getting thrusted into a role. And if you compare him to the other running backs in this backfield, he completely out-touched on a per-type, or he completely, I was going to say like out-efficiencyed, but 
he outproduced James Robinson on a per touch basis by a lot. It wasn't close to the kid that they like. I think that he probably, as long as Michael Carter's out, was probably going to see like a 60% opportunity share as like a fringe, probably like a high end RB3 moving forward. And you could probably say once Michael Carter comes back, Zonovan Knight will be in the mix here, which kind of muddies things because I do think when Carter comes back, it's going to be a problem for Zonovan Knight. He's going to get downgraded, and then Michael Carter's going to get downgraded a little bit with Knight eating into a lot of his touches. Now, moving off of Jets talk, that was eight minutes of the video. You guys are probably going to hate that we talked about the Jets for six minutes, but I feel like I kept it to enough fantasy football for it to be fine. Uh, our second takeaway here is DeAndre Swift finally comes back in some way, shape, or form. He led the backfield in snaps and touches, and it was so, so good. He had 51% of the snaps this week, his highest total since week two, 14 carries, six targets. That's 20 opportunities was his first. That was the most opportunities he's seen in a game this season. So really, really positive. It was just his second time this season over 10 carries. On top of that, if we look here, he had two goal line snaps to Jamal Williams, two goal line snaps. So he wasn't completely vulturing at the goal line. He handled pretty much half of the snaps. Again, 20 opportunities. Everything was right in front of DeAndre Swift. Now I'm just looking up how many points he put up. I want to say that he put up a nice little 20 piece for the folks out there that started him, but I would say, yeah, 21.1. I'd say moving forward, I mean, he has Carolina in week 16. He has Chicago in week 17 of the fantasy football playoffs. That'll be really fun for him. It seems like, I, I mean, I'll be a little bit skeptical going into next week, but I'm skeptical going into next week, but this is really promising. This is, this is the DeAndre Swift that we drafted. We drafted, you know, about 51% of the snaps, 20 opportunities, some of the uh, high value stuff like the goal line snaps and the six targets it's all coming to fruition a little bit late but at this point if your team kind of survived in advance this whole time and you get DeAndre Swift in his full form here and this is the DeAndre Swift that we're going to get through the fantasy playoffs he might be a late season hammer for a lot of us here now our third takeaway is Deshaun's debut I just kind of wanted to touch on uh what Deshaun did in his first game and it wasn't pretty he had uh the cleveland offense as a whole had 21 pass attempts to 38 rush attempts which is a 37 percent pass rate their average on the season was 53 percent, which was still like a bottom 10 number so it was a blowout game they hit him a little bit leaned on the run it was really bad he had 12 completions on 22 attempts for 131 yards zero touchdowns one interception not good um this was to be expected though Rusty hasn't played a game in two years. He did have six, seven rush attempts, which is good for kind of like his Konami upside. You know, he still wants to run the ball. Uh, but this idea that Deshaun Watson might be like an elite quarterback down the stretch would probably push back. If he's not going to be great against the Texans, that's going to be tough. He gets a pretty brutal stretch of defenses here against the Bengals, against the Ravens, against the Saints, and Washington as his final four games in fantasy football to close out the season. The only real positive you can say here is that if we just look at the uh, Browns offense with Deshaun Watson, he loved going to Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper saw a season high 42.8% snap share. The rust is very real on Deshaun, but it seems like his favorite target is Amari Cooper. Our fourth takeaway here is if you just looked at the box score, ETN had an awful game. He had 7.6 PPR points, didn't look great, but 
if you dig a little bit deeper, this was actually really encouraging for ETN, who was coming off an injury, was thought to maybe have his status in jeopardy this week, maybe be limited this week. And after coming off of that weird injury, he saw, again, 7.6 PPR points, not great, but he saw 13 carries and three targets. That was 16 opportunities. The only other Jaguars running back to even touch the ball was Snoop Connor for one carry. So he handled 16 of 17 opportunities. He dominated the snaps at an 87% snap chair, which was a career high. So Peterson wasn't lying. He's fully healthy. He's good to go. It almost seems like they trust him to be healthy and play good more than ever. Dominating the snaps. He should be fine, you know, here on forward. There's better days to come. Snaps was fine. Usage was fine. I would just say it was a down game. I, I wouldn't really be all that concerned about ETN, his injury, playing time moving forward. I think for that output, for a 7.6 PPR point game, I feel like heading into the week, if I had known he was going to put up 7.6 PPR points, I would be much more worried right now if the snaps and the usage didn't look like what it looked like. I think it was just a bad game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence went down early. The lines are just dominating the Jaguars at home there. I think, again, better days will be there for Travis Etienne. Now, fifth takeaway is going to be the rookie wide receiver report, the world-renowned rookie wide receiver report. We have Olave uh, still has to play Monday Night Football. Rashid Shahid still has to play tonight. Uh, then you have the injuries down there. We're just going to slide that down so we can just focus on who actually played. But these are wide receivers with over 10 – rookie wide receivers with over 10 targets with one exception – um, Jamison Williams, I wanted to talk about him because, you know, first game back or whatever. Uh, and then I have them sorted by their route participation in week 13. So let's just go through and sort of highlight some things that stood out to me. You have Christian Watson, who's here to stay, man. Six targets, three catches, 48 yards, a touchdown. He had a rushing touchdown, which I believe was, uh, I think it clocked in on like fastest ball carriers of the year with like 21.5 miles per hour. The guy is a stud. We now have four straight 20-plus PPR points from Christian Watson. He has eight touchdowns in his last four. And as much as I want to hop on here and tell you guys, you're like, Christian Watson's overrated. I didn't like him coming out. This is the time to sell. People across the board are saying it's time to sell Christian Watson. I see no reason to just not hold on to his crazy upside. I mean, sure, you could cash out. I think in redraft, you don't got to cash out. In dynasty, if you can use him to get into an elite first-round startup value asset, like an elite quarterback or an elite tight end, I guess you could go do that, but I see no reason not to hold. Like, this isn't fluky at all, right? Like, Jahan Dotson early in the year with the touchdowns was very fluky. Even now, uh, if we look at Jahan Dotson, third row down, 12.2% target per out run, under a yard yard per out run. Christian Watson on a per out basis, those target per out run numbers, those yards per out run numbers aren't taking into account his touchdowns. So on a per out basis, he's commanding volume. He's efficient in terms of yards. So the touchdown efficiency that he's been seeing or the touchdown luck has just been a cherry on top. Across the board, he has been very, very good. Like, I would have him after that big three of Olave, Wilson, London. Watson's right there for me. And again, I wasn't that high on him coming into the NFL. Uh, after that, again, yards per out run, elite. Target per out run, elite. PFF grade, pretty dang good. 71.9 is not bad at all. Then we have Garrett Wilson, who is just absolutely thriving with non-Zach Wilson QBs. His splits with and without Zach Wilson are absolutely insane right now. And this is the first week where on the entire season, he's been above two yards per out run. He's at a 22.9% target per out run, 84.4 PFF grade, just elite stuff across the board. Gun to my head right now, I think I would probably rank Garrett Wilson first out of all these 2022 rookie wide receivers. But if you want to, you know, 
have London or Olave ahead, I wouldn't fault you. I had to have all of them in a in that top tier, but Garrett Wilson has just looked so special. Yards after the catches, I'm insane. He had that one where he almost took it to the house, but he stepped out of bounds, but just like absolutely danced around the entire team. Was sort of willing us in this game. He had like 14 targets against the Vikings, and it just seemed like every time that Mike White found Garrett Wilson or targeted Garrett Wilson that we had a better chance of winning that game. Uh, after that, we have Jahan Dotson, who we were just talking about. Full season stats, really, really bad, but had a nice game here after seeing a dip in his route participation last year or last week at 60%. He goes back up to 89% here, and he gives you nine targets, 22% target share, five catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown. All solid. Uh, again, full season metrics a little bit concerning, but I mean, a step in the right direction four dots in there then you have drake london who had a much needed like monster game it wasn't crazy for fantasy only 15.5 ppr points but 12 targets for a 50 percent target share. 50 percent target share is crazy six catches 95 yards great day had an 81.4 pff grade on the week which is the highest individual week pff grade of the season for london he's very much back on track and you have george pickens here man and people are still really caping up for George Pickens. I loved him coming out, but we talked about this last week, man. Like, Pickens, to me, him ever being like a svelte downfield target, like an A.J. Green that can just demand a crazy target share and be like a perennial top five wide receiver. Now, to be fair, there's not a lot of wide receivers with that in the range of outcomes. I don't really see it for Pickens. To me, he just looks like, uh, we talked about it last week, but just a jump ball spectacular catch specialist like a uh like a Mike Williams I think DJ Chark isn't a bad comp for him uh like obviously like year two DJ Chark playing well but uh you know top five top 12 type wide receiver from wide receiver season for him I just think it's tough it's tough for me to see Pickens just like absolutely demanding targets as a number one option putting up like 18 plus points per game in fantasy, I see him much more as like a uh, secondary wide receiver. That's more of that like jump ball, vertical threat, X wide receiver, kind of like the Mike Williams, Keenan uh, Allen dynamic. Uh, I mean, maybe he can be like a T Higgins, uh, but it's just tough, man. It's really tough. He just saw two targets for a catch and two yards this week. He's not commanding targets, right? We see 14.3% target per out run. That's second low, or no, it's like third or fourth lowest. Like that's in the area of Tyquan Thornton, Khalil Shakur, David Bell. Like all all Pickens has going for him right now is that he runs a lot of routes. On a per route basis, 1.18 yards per route run isn't going to cut it either. 63.9 PFF grade. So, you know, maybe he's not getting thrown to an open or anything. Or maybe he just looks better on tape. Not the case either. So pretty concerning for Pickens. I don't think that he'll face plant per se because there is a lot of people that love him and are just kind of blaming everything on situation. And it's not a perfect situation by any means, but you got to do something. You know what I mean? You got to do something. So if you could like sell him for like top 20, top 24 wide receiver prices, which is where he still goes, I'd very much be into that. If I could like take Pickens uh, in a piece and upgrade that into Garrett Wilson, London Olave, I'll do that all day. Uh, I would even take Christian Watson and Traylon Burks over George Pickens at this point in Dynasty. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that Pickens is a screaming sell because I do have a share myself and it's my only share in Dynasty. And I think I'll just hold on to it just because it's my only share and it's just like whatever. It's also in an analyst league too. So you can't really, there's not really a sell high uh, window in that kind of format. But again, there are people that are infatuated with George Pickens, like him as like a top 15, 18 wide receiver in Dynasty. And as much as I loved him coming out, I don't really see it now that we've sort of, you know, 
revealed what 13 weeks of George Pickens looks like here. Uh, after that, we have Alec Pierce, who is in much need of some kind of bounce back. He comes out here, leads the Colts, who have Michael Pittman, of course, in targets, receiving yards, fantasy points, and PFF receiving grade with like an 80-plus grade this week. Eight targets, four catches, 86 yards, and a touchdown. Really, really strong for Pierce. Full season stats still lacking, but he has shined in a couple places this year. That makes him pretty interesting. Uh, after that, we have Sky Moore. Another one like Pickens where I love this guy coming out. And I'll be the first one to say, like, hands up. Like, this is this is tough, man. He is now, he had zero targets in this game after having back-to-back games with six targets. And it was like, okay, there's some optimism here. Rapper percentage still isn't budging. This time he had no targets. So, route participation didn't budge. Still in the 30s. Zero targets. Not good. He, like, can't even beat out guys like Justin Watson on this depth chart. So, I'm not throwing in the towel on Sky Moore, but, like, I'm there. I'm, I'm just about there at this point. Uh, after that, another guy we liked pre-draft, Traylon Burks. Heartbreaking day. Unlike the other two, he's looked amazing. He makes this amazing contested catch in the end zone. Somehow holds on to the ball, catches the touchdown, and he's, like, sort of unconscious, like, just laying in the end zone. It was really scary. Uh, I think that he walked off on his own power. Hopefully, he's back here soon. But Traylon Burks has been sort of like Christian Watson, uh, early on where Christian Watson on a per route basis and stuff was flashing here and there, but he just kept having these injuries, like either a head injury or a concussion or tweak something. Like if you look through like the first 10 games for Christian Watson, he's leaving every like two to three games for something small. I'm not saying that this was small for Traylon Burks, but it is frustrating that every time it feels like he's hit his stride, he gets hurt. Uh, Hope he's okay. I still love his long-term outlook. I would just love if we could string together like four to five games for Burks to, you know, get him in a rhythm and then sort of see what that ceiling looks like. Uh, you have David Bell. He went down to 8% of the routes this week, but he did get hurt and he left the game. Still just like no positives on his entire year. Jamison Williams, man of the hour. First game back, only two routes, one target. So don't read too much into that 50% target per out run number, but still... Uh, interesting that he's at least active. He's running routes. He was targeted. Didn't catch that target, but there's not much to go off here. Uh, I just sort of wanted to add Jamison Williams because I want to track his route participation when we see like week 14, week 15, sort of see it jump up from 5% this week to, you know, maybe like 25% next week. So something to keep an eye on and just something I wanted to plant there so we can sort of track it as the year goes on. Now, I have a little bit of a surprise for you guys. A little bit of a surprise. We have the rookie tight end report here. Now, I don't know if I'm going to do this every single week, the rookie tight end report, but I was just looking and it's like, Oconquo had a great day. Dolchers was a tight end one in fantasy this week. And this class for a tight end class that wasn't hyped at all. Like there was no Kyle Pitts in this class. There was no first round tight end taken in the NFL draft. This tight end class has been like, for the draft capital sunk into this class, it's been low key great. Like, I look through these tight ends. All of them have 15 or more targets this year. And across the board, like there's a bright spot to go off of for all of them. And a lot of these guys were drafted on day three or like late day two. Uh, up top, I, I sorted them by route percentage. We have Daniel Bellinger, kid out of San Diego State. He comes back from injury this week. And immediately, Dable plugs him in for 82% of the routes and five targets. 70% plus of the routes is good for a tight end. 80% plus is elite. So Daniel Bellinger already seeing that usage as a rookie tight end. Now, the efficiency metrics like target per run, yards per run, PFF grade, not great. Also remember that these colors on the screen are graded with the wide receivers. So 
what might be like an orange for a tight end might be like a green with a or what might be an orange for a wide receiver might be a green for a tight end but not great across the board but still like 80 percent plus of the routes is really all you need you saw five targets i mean for a rookie tight end like a day three guy out of san diego state that's interesting uh we have greg dolchich who's just the man of the hour uh 80% plus of the routes, three straight weeks now. That is elite for a rookie tight end. That is insane. He's at a 70 plus PFF grade. He's fresh off the tight end one in PPR this week. Only 14.5 PPR points, which is a just a bad tight end week in general. But eight targets, six catches, 85 yards. Really impressive stuff there. Uh, someone that I think, I mean, I, I'm not going to say he's under the radar, but dude, take note of this guy, Chigosium Okonkwo. We talked about him. We talked about uh, taxi squad pickups and dynasty, and he was somebody that stood out. Him and Daniel Bellinger, Okonkwo, his per route grades metrics, they go toe to toe with the wide receivers. Twenty five percent target per out run, elite for a wide receiver. Never mind a tight end. Two point seven five yards per out run, elite for a tight end, or elite for a wide receiver. Never mind a tight end. Seventy nine point five PFF grade. Also insane. And this is on a pretty good sample size of routes for Chego uh, Conquo. He's running about like 30 to 40, 50% of the routes every single week. He had five targets, four catches, 68 yards this week. This is more of a dynasty thing, uh, just tight end report in general. I don't think he'll be startable at any point this year because you have Austin Hooper in front of him taking a lot of those routes. But I'm dying to see what Oconqua at like 80% of the routes looks like. I think... The future is very bright. The minute that he gets thrusted into a role where he can see like 70% plus of the routes, I think he's going to be a difference maker in fantasy. He looks like a John Woo Smith, David Njoku type move tight end where he's like, I think he's like 6'2", 245. I want to say Njoku and John Woo are like 6'3", 6'4", also 245. And he runs a faster 40 time than both of those guys who are also athletic freaks. He runs like a 4'5 something uh, Okonkwo. So somebody to really keep an eye on again. Those per route efficiency metrics are really, really strong. And the only reason his route percentage isn't going up is because he's behind Austin Hooper, who, you know, teams like their veteran tight ends, whatever. Uh, Okonku looks special long-term. Uh, you also have Isaiah Likely here. His numbers across the board are sort of underwhelming, but he looked great in preseason. We had two games this year where Andrews was either out or limited. Likely caught a touchdown in both of those games. You have Jelani Woods, who last week had nine targets, eight catches, 98 yards, 17.8 PPR points. Then he lands on the injury report, and Kylan Granson comes back. So he goes from 69% of the routes to 27.5%. And that's sort of the big holdup for Jelani Woods is they rotate these tight ends in Indianapolis. They like Mo Ali Cox. They like Kylan Granson. It's fine, though, because he's a rookie tight end, uh, and there's for sure going to be coaching changes here soon. Uh, you know, even more so than what there's already been. So he's probably like one of the more boom bust guys on this list. He could be nothing, but he also is this athletic freak. I want to say he played basketball at some point, but I know that he's out of Virginia, Virginia athletic freak. I think that, you know, he'll get into meaningful playing time, maybe be somebody interesting in like two to three years. Uh, Jake Ferguson, also worth mentioning. He's looked good so far on his limited snaps. Like he is the only guy along with Okonkwo that has a 20% or better target per out run, 1.5 or better yards per out run, and a 70 or better PFF grade. So he looks good. It's just he's behind Dalton Schultz, but on a per out basis, he's been great. Uh, he also had that one cool hurdle, I think, on Thanksgiving. So something to keep an eye out with Jake Ferguson. And K-Dalton, uh, it hasn't played yet. Across the board, he's probably the worst. Like, he's probably the lone, not-so-bright spot. Like, target per out run, yards per out run, PFF grade, all don't look good. But 
overall on a tight end class that had zero buzz at all coming out like this is very interesting and we didn't even mention Trey McBride, who was the first tight end off the board. He just didn't hit the uh, target criteria. He hasn't had a great year so far, but tight ends take a while to develop anyways. So just wanted to sort of note, like, this tight end class, keep an eye out. You know, in Dynasty, if you can sort of throw, like, an Oconquo or a Jake Ferguson into a back the back of a deal uh, as, like, a throw-in, if that owner or whatever doesn't really value those, you know, fringy tight ends. I think that they're great guys that just sort of plant on the end of your bench and hope that they sort of pop in a year or two. Uh, after that... We have the takeaway that I was dead wrong about this 49ers backfield. I thought that we saw early in the year, week one, Elijah Mitchell goes down. Jordan Mason is active. Ty Davis Price was a healthy scratch. Next week, week two, Ty Davis Price had 14 carries to Jordan Mason's zero carries. Ty Davis Price was ahead of him on the depth chart. Jordan Mason was only active in week one over TDP because of special teams. So I thought that's what we're going to see here. But instead, the 49ers tried out McCaffrey for... 25 touches, Debo had four carries, Jordan Mason had eight carries, and Ty Davis Price was active but saw zero snaps. That's on me, fellas. That's on me. This guy literally took zero snaps. Uh, I think moving forward, the way that this 49ers backfield will be is you can pencil in CMC for 20-plus carries, which is good, or 20-plus touches, which is good for a guy who, with Elijah Mitchell, we're getting a little bit concerned there. You know, he's not seeing that usual crazy workload. I think you can pencil in Debo for like three to five of those carries. And then for now, Jordan Mason will see like five to eight carries. But I think that there is a chance that like tight of his price could bleed into that. They could just sort of play the hot hand between those two. Neither of them will be startable, though. I also have another another screw up. I was wrong about Gus Edwards last week. I loved him as a, as a waiver wire pickup uh, in his last three games this year that he's been active. He saw 11 carries, 16 carries. 16 carries. So, of course, what happens? He comes out yesterday and gives you guys six carries, which is a, like half of his lowest carry amount. And the Ravens are like the 49ers in that they just do not care what you have done for us in the past. It's just what are you going to do for us right this second? Gus Edward got, got six carries. I believe that he played in his usual role for the first quarter. He wasn't being effective, so they pulled him. Pretty much just made Kenyon Drake the lead guy. And it seems like this is just going to be a revolving door of a backfield where if Gus Edwards doesn't got it, then Kenyon Drake is going to come in. If Kenyon Drake doesn't got it, then Gus Edwards will come in. You also now have J.K. Dobbins getting activated off of IR. You have Justice Hill working his way back into the mix. So the whole thing's a headache. It sucks because it looked like, you know, Gus Edwards would be an every week startable, like RB3 moving forward. That is not the case. Uh, ninth takeaway, it's Konami Code Burrow, man. This is something that people are not talking about at all, but Joe Burrow another year off of that AC, like that brutal, I think it was like an ACL tear, MCL tear, his knee exploded, essentially. People don't really understand Joe Burrow. Yes, he's a white quarterback. He ran a ton in college. Uh, I have my prospect database that breaks quarterbacks into tiers of statue mobile Konami code, which is just how much do these guys run the ball? He was mobile. Uh, a buddy of mine, Dynasty IM on Twitter, he does really great work. Uh, he actually had Burrow in like his highest tier of like Konami. Uh, which is, you know, that's where Lamar Jackson's and all them are going to go. He ran the ball a ton in college. For a team that had playmakers in Jefferson, in Chase, and Clyde Edwards-Lair in the backfield, there was a lot of Joe Burrow read option, especially on the goal line. A lot of the time, he was using his legs, even in school. And we saw that early on. So I have the years highlighted here. This is, this is a chart of pass catchers in 2022. How much fantasy points are they adding per game on the ground? 
And then I added Joe Burrow 2022. I added Joe Burrow his rookie year and then Joe Burrow in year two. We can see Joe Burrow in his rookie year, 2020, he added 3.22 points per game on the ground. That's good. I would say anything over three is like right in that nice sweet spot. Like Mahomes is in there of they're not Konami code. They're not Lamar Jackson's. They're not going to be Michael Vick ever, but they give you enough on the ground to raise that ceiling to a good spot. That's why I'm excited about Trevor Lawrence too. He's in that area as well. Uh, but he tears his ACL, MCL, destroys his knee. He comes out that next year in 2021. And despite having a career year, Joe Burrow, it was from within the pocket. In fantasy, he wasn't scrambling at all. He was at 1.49 fantasy points per game on the ground. That is tied with Kirk Cousins this year behind Mac Jones. So that is in the statue area. But if we fast forward to this year, he has ran the ball on the ground more than ever. He is adding 4.37 fantasy points per game to his game through the, I don't know what I'm saying, through the ground. You get what I'm saying, on the ground, which is crazy. That's eighth in the NFL right now, just behind guys like Kyler Murray and Marcus Mariota, a quarterback that we all sort of like see in our head as like this pocket quarterback. He's running the ball a ton. Like if you compare, so Joe Burrow is at eight. If you compare that to like Dak Prescott, who we see as our, in our head is like kind of mobile, Dak is only at 1.87. So Burrow's more than doubling what Dak does on the ground. If we look at, uh, I want to say like even Justin Herbert, people sort of see in their head as pretty mobile. Justin Herbert's there at like 1.13 points per game. Burrow is in the spot that is really, really exciting for fantasy. Like this year in fantasy, he is going to go toe to toe with those elite quarterbacks moving forward. If you can fluctuate between like three to five fantasy points on the ground, that'll be massive moving forward where you can sort of take into account like Matthew Stafford last year, right? If you see Matthew Stafford, he's all the way uh, at 30th with 0.77 points per game on the ground. He had 40 passing touchdowns last year and didn't even crack like the top eight quarterbacks in fantasy. So when you take a Matthew Stafford, like 40 touchdown year, which Burrow can do pretty easily with T Higgins and Jamar Chase. And then you add another 4.37 or like what 4.37 minus the 0.77 a Stafford will give you you another 3.5 points per game. Like if you gave Matthew Stafford, let me actually do the math real quick. If you gave Matthew Stafford last year, another 3.5 points per game, I wonder where he ends up. I want to do this on a player profiler real quick. They sort of pull it up with ease um but let's see so if we pull up points per game and we do just 2021 my bad for this uh you put so matthew stafford is at 20.4 points per game as the 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 the qb 11 last year now if you add another 3.5 points per game that puts him at 23.5 points per game, which would have been the QB two in points per game behind just Josh Allen. So, and Burrow last year was actually right next to Matthew Stafford as well. Stat, or Burrow was at 20.5 points per game. You add on, I mean, Burrow last year, we can actually see the numbers here. So 2021, 1.49 of those. The ceiling, right? So it, just two points per game from that rushing boost, or right, so 4.37 minus like the 1.49 from 2021 you're at what, like roughly like 2.8 points per game. You add that to his 2.5 from last year and you're pretty much at like top five quarterback status and points per game. So that rushing ceiling is huge for Burrow. And we can kind of see it this year where he was the QB 10 as a 20.5 point per game guy last year. And this year he's 22.9 points per game as the QB four. And not much has changed in terms of passing the ball or throwing the football. He has just added a ton on the ground, which really raises his ceiling and puts him in that same mix you know, 
in Dynasty in general in terms of fantasy as guys like Kyler, uh, even as guys like Mahomes. So really, really big for Burrow just in terms of fantasy. Of course, Mahomes is much better. Maybe not much better, but I don't know. I'm talking myself into a hole here. But of course, Mahomes is a better real-life quarterback. But for fantasy, Burrow is adding enough on the ground to compete with those guys. Uh, Our last takeaway here, we've gone super long here, but I felt like I feel like I feel like you guys deserved a long one. Okay, pause, pause. But you get what I'm saying. I, like you know, I, I I think I dodged it the week after Thanksgiving. I dodged it when I was uh, sick. You guys have been you guys have been longing for a real real meaty uh, top ten takeaways here. Last one, uh, and I just wanted to brush up on this one because Thursday night football feels like so long ago. Uh, James Cook had a nice little breakout on Thursday night football. He saw his largest snap share of the season at 43. percent He led the team in rush attempts with 40 percent of the rush attempts. Uh, Naeem Hines also had a great day, or not a great day, but 31% of the snaps, 50% of the two-minute drill. Kind of ugly, where it's like a little bit positive for James Cook, right? James Cook had 14 carries, 64 yards on the ground, six catches for 41 yards through the air. That's really good, 16.5 PPR points. But we now have a three-way committee, because what that coincided with for James Cook was Naeem Hines also playing better, and then Devin Singletary getting his usage scaled back. So we now have a three-man rotation. It's not great. But at least James Cook is live to kind of emerge as the lead back. If you have Devin Singletary, it's probably time to worry a little bit. Now, that's going to do it for us today. If you made it this far, I appreciate you. You guys, I mean, you guys, I, this is like a cult classic because views-wise, this video doesn't really do much different than anything else. But it's the one I, I by far hear the most about. It's like, Ron, please, we need the top 10 lessons learned. So I hope that you guys enjoyed that. Um, as always. If you did enjoy that, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. I don't have anything else to add here. We're already running long. Time to dive into the waiver wire for tomorrow's video. As always, I appreciate you guys checking this out. And I'll see you guys in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Chatham's on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.